Chad and Jay Mansbridge here, lead pastors of Bayside Church International, based here on the south coast of South Australia. Our great passion as a church is to help people to know Jesus and to demonstrate His love, truth and life in everything that we do. We hope you enjoy today's message. Hey, how awesome is that? I love going into a preach from worship. I think let's maintain this heavenly mindset. Oh, and just let God be glorified this morning. Sometimes I don't want to preach. Sometimes let's just worship. Let's just worship and let's just worship and worship. We get to do it for all eternity. How awesome is that? Well, I had lots of ways and directions that I could go um, for this last preach under the series of a glorious canvas. And I've really enjoyed doing this little series over the course of the last few months. And um, I just want you to know that a lot of the content that I've preached on is not in my book. (laughs) It's like excess, it's like overflow. And so what's in my book is very simple, very easy to understand but I've been able to give kind of the broader picture as I've been sharing with you, which has been super good. But um, so there were lots of directions that I could go. And I'm like, what am I going to do? Which which one will I choose? And I woke up a couple of weeks ago with this thought in my mind. It was a question, actually. And I was like, that's really a weird question. I think I better listen to that question because I don't think I ate something weird last night and I don't think that I've been having other dreams. This is just kind of a weird question. The question that I woke up with in my mind was, why does an Olympian athlete get a gold medal? Who decided that? Who decided that athletes should get gold medals and why? What was the thought process behind that? And so I did the normal thing that all of us do. I Googled it. <laughs> and, um, and I was quite interested to read some of the articles about it. However, they didn't give me the answer. But I know that when a question like that comes on my mind, it's not so much about finding the exact answer of the question. It's about, God, what is the treasure that you are trying to help me to find? What is it that you are wanting me to seek out so that I know something more of who you are? What are you trying to tell me, God? Because that's what God does. That, well, that's the way he speaks to me. And, um, and I share a little bit of this this morning because I want you to know how easy it is to hear the voice of God. So I looked up, why does a gold medalist, uh, why does an Olympian win a gold medal? And what came up was quite interesting. The first thing that struck my attention was that originally, medals were not given to the winners of the Olympics. Originally, they were given uh, a crown that was made from an olive branch. How cool is that? Anyone who knows my story from like series one of A Glorious Canvas will remember the story of Noah and who flew into the ark with the olive leaf in their mouth, the dove, to let us know that it was safe to go back to land, let us know, to let Noah and his family, as if I was on the ark. (laughs) 
But of course it was the olive, olive uh, branch that was used. And of course it was a crown because the first Olympic was held in a place called Olympia in Greece. And I don't know how many of you have got Greek family members or Greek friends, but they seem to plant olive trees all the time. <laughs> uh, at least my brother-in-law does. And I love it because he makes awesome food from those olive trees. But I learned that olive trees were planted because they were a sign of wealth and prosperity. And you plant them when a child is born so that your child will grow and be prosperous, of course. But so this is a cool thing for an Olympian to win, is, is a crown. And of course, my imagination goes wild. And I'm like, of course, it's like the anointing. The olive oil anointing, the crown. It's like they are being really crowned for what they have achieved. Do we get that? Our olive branch just turned into olive oil and they're being anointed as priests. You know, everyone went there with me, didn't they? <laughs> but these crowns were either made into circles to fit on the head or the shape of a horseshoe or the shape of an arch. Either way, found that very interesting. Again, remember, God shows us things not so much so that we can find out the exact information, but because he wants to put revelation upon our hearts. And so I'm reading into this story. And then I thought about it. I thought, you know, when it comes to gold, we're back to the gold medal, why would you get a gold medal at the end of a race? It was actually the Americans that brought the gold medals in in the early 1900s because they wanted to have a metal that they could stamp with an image for the athletes to win. And I guess throughout history, gold has always been something that demonstrated wealth. We see that throughout history when we read many stories about kings and kingdoms and, and when they go in and they take over you know, countries and towns, they steal or the gold and the silver. It's something of value. It's something of wealth. Kings and kingdoms uh, serve up their meals on gold plates with gold cutlery and gold cups. Like, it's a sign of extravagance. And that took me back, of course, to the Bible. And where is gold mentioned in the Bible? The first time we see gold is in Genesis 2. Do we have that scripture? So within the Garden of Eden, there is a river. And it was a river watering the garden flowed from Eden. From there, it was separated into four headwaters. The name of the first is the Pishon, I'll try and say it. It winds through the entire land of Havilah where there is gold. And not just any gold, the gold of that land is good. Aromatic, resin and onyx are also there. So right in the beginning there is gold. I find it really interesting that the next time, uh, I mean, there's, there's all sorts of stories within the Old Testament, and I'll share a bit about them in a minute, but the next time we really read about gold is in Exodus, when something called the tabernacle is being built. Who's read about the tabernacle? So the tabernacle was something that was built under, under Moses because God wanted to reveal himself on earth. And he wanted a place where his presence could rest. And so a plan and a pattern was sent down to... It was Moses, wasn't it? Just get my facts right. 
uh, a plan or a pattern was sent down to Moses that he was to follow correctly. This plan or this pattern had certain ways that things were to be created and they were super creative. I mean, God created us creative. How cool are these? How cool is it to see the creative people in our house? And there's more on the back wall. And for those of you who brought in even more than portraits, you brought in sculptures and different things, we're actually going to use those a little bit further down the track. We ran out of space. We thought, we just want you to see the paintings today. And the, um, I think they're all paintings, drawings. But um, God is a God of creativity. And the house that he was to dwell in was full of creativity. So, so there were lamps that were made, there were bowls, there were the certain type of rods to put up the curtains. Everything within it was luxurious. And it's well worth going and reading up about all the little parts of the tabernacle. It might seem like boring, it's history, but as you get into it and as you see the different symbolism unfold, it is fascinating. It is well worth getting into and just reading and studying. Well, all of the tabernacle or many of the things within the tabernacle are coated with gold. Sometimes on the outside and on the inside, there was this extravagance of gold put on the things within the tabernacle, which I find really strange. And the reason I find it really strange is because people had to carry that. And I don't know what you think, but... I think adding gold to everything would have added weight to everything. The poor men that had to like lift the tabernacle, when you didn't have to do it just anyway, there was actually a particular way that you had to carry the tabernacle, and it was really heavy. And so we have this, um, we have this like tent that is designed to host the presence of God, and it is just full of gold. It is full of extravagance. It is full of value. Throughout the Old Testament, we continue to see that the rich, uh, we know that they are rich because of how much gold they have. We see um, when a wife, when a man seeks after a wife, he puts a lot of gold on her. A tradition, I think, should continue on. What do you say, women? Yeah, yeah, might as well. When... Um, <laughs> When lands were taken over, the gold was stolen. When it talks about kings and, and the um, banquets that they had, there is a lot of gold. Gold always seen within the scriptures to represent wealth and value. And it is held by people of significance. And then we continue into the New Testament and the picture of gold kind of changes a little bit. And I'll talk about that in a minute. But the other thing that I was reminded of when I thought about this picture of uh, these athletes winning a race was that they were in a race. And that triggered my memory to the fact that within the scriptures, it talks about us running a race. And so I thought maybe I should look into some of those. So let's have a look at 1 Corinthians verse 9. Hopefully you're you're following with me, you know, I am very like, dung, 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 and eventually at the end of the day, you'll see the big picture. Just letting you know for those who are new in our place this morning or watching on video, I will get somewhere, maybe. Either that or just have swirly fun. Either way, I'm cool with that. 
In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, it says, Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Ah, hang on, move back a bit. Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Wow, okay. Thanks, God, for reminding me of that. What about in Hebrews chapter 12? It says, therefore, oh, this always gets me. Since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, I do want to preach on that one day. Oh, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who, for the joy, again, something that just amazes me every time I read it, joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Who? Us. Let's not grow weary and lose heart because Jesus had joy going to the cross. So let us not grow weary and lose heart. And so I started thinking about this. It was uh, an athlete that got the gold. Okay, an Olympic athlete that won the gold. And all of a sudden, in the back of my mind, I heard God say, why did you never get to the Olympics? Hang on a minute. Whoa, 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 whoa. This question didn't just come up randomly. Actually, someone on my Facebook feed kept appearing recently. And so it was something that I had been thinking about a little bit. And this person, his name is Freddie. Freddie's a good name. Why didn't we use the name Freddie? Should have used the name Freddie. Freddie's a good name. Um, <laughs> I'm going to call her Freddie from now on. Um, <laughs> she'll be like, what's coming on? Um, this guy called Freddie was a friend of mine when I went to school in Kenya. We went to boarding school together. And he kept coming up on my Facebook feed, actually, because he's celebrating a special birthday this year, which lots of my friends are, and I might be as well. Anyway, <laughs> um, every time I see his face, I am reminded that the last words I ever spoke to him were, I'll see you at the Olympics. I... Uh, I don't know who knows my story, but I'll, I'll tell you really quickly. But we got taken out of Kenya and out of our school, our boarding school, very quickly. Because the wonderful man who is sitting in the front row got incredibly sick while we were in Africa, and we had to go home very quickly. We had to come back here to Australia so that he could have an operation, which means that he's still with us today. And I celebrate everybody who was a part of that operation and the success that it was. Anyway, we got taken out of the country very quickly, and so I didn't have much time to say goodbye. But Freddie and I were really good friends. And the reason we were really good friends was because he and I used to train together and race together. 
And so, you know, it's normal that when you're 15, you say goodbye and say, I'll see you at the Olympics especially when there's no Facebook and not really telephones and, you know, we're not going to keep up with each other with snail mail. We've got to, like, set a destination. Now, this might seem really strange for most people. I don't know. Who here had Olympic ambitions? Who was going? We've got, I've got one. A few? I see, I see one. Anyway, um, when I was in Kenya at the age of 15, when I was in Kenya at the age of 15, just let me say Kenya, I was in Kenya, I was the fastest runner in my year. In fact, I was the fastest runner in my high school. Hang on a minute, I was in Kenya! <laughs> and, <laughs> and I used to run races with other schools around Kenya, and I actually can't remember whether I did very well or not, but I know that I was up there. I was one of the fastest runners in... Hello! That's pretty cool. And so me saying, I'll see you at the Olympics, isn't such a strange thing to say. There actually was a possibility. It may have been small, it may have been big, I actually really don't know. But it was a possibility. And so I was thinking and I was pondering over this and I'm like, well, what are you trying to tell me? And God just said, why did you never make it to the Olympics? And I thought, I stopped training. The only reason, well, there may have been others, but I won't know. <laughs> but the only reason that I know of is that in the five years between leaving Africa and when I probably would have been at my prime to be in the Olympics, I stopped training. It didn't happen initially. Initially, I was picked up by the South Australian squad very quickly and had a coach. And then in Victoria, I remember having a coach. But somewhere in there, something changed. And I can't actually remember what changed. I can't remember why I stopped training. And it doesn't really matter. Because to be honest, I don't need to have gone to the Olympics. That's not actually like high up on there on my you know, list of achievements. But this I do know. Within this body, birthed into my mother's womb, was the ability to be an elite athlete. Now, everybody on earth is born with a body. And they, they come in all shapes and sizes and with all skills and talents. And the one thing I know about my body is it was designed to be an athlete. Now, whatever form I, I choose to use that in, and I think there's, there's way better ways that I can serve God with that than running in the Olympics, although I really do admire those who get there. But the, all I'm saying is I had the ability to get there, but the only thing that was holding me back that I'm aware of, was training. And I bring this up this morning because, you know, I'm, I'm talking about a physical body and I, I want to move away from that now. I want to do a little shift away from that because we are made up of mind, body and spirit. I'm going to leave the mind behind. I'm just not even going to touch that this morning. But I want to look at the spiritual body. Our spiritual bodies are designed to run a race and to run it well. We know that we've already won the prize. We've already got gold. You see, it was the person of Jesus when he died on the cross that gave us access to the kingdom of heaven, to God. But Jesus never did that 
so that we could just accept him and accept his love and accept his ways and then sit in a chair and expect one day to just go to glory. No, no, no. He did that so that we could partner with him. You see, because otherwise there wouldn't be scriptures like this, like, you know, don't grow weary and lose heart. And there wouldn't be people like Paul who just poured out their life, poured out their life, poured out their life, got stones thrown at them, had the ship get wrecked, had to walk for thousands of, uh, thousands of kilometers. I don't know, making that part up. But had to, my kids say I exaggerate. I don't know. I could have made it to the Olympics. <laughs> but all I'm saying is this. Someone like Paul wrote uh, 1 Corinthians. Yes, am I right? Paul wrote 1 Corinthians, just check with the theologian in, theologian in the front row, um, and he wrote it as a person that knew what it was to be a religious man. He knew what it was to try and access heaven in his own ways, following his own rules or the rules that religion had set up for him. But then he had an encounter with God and he knew that this encounter was not just for himself. He knew that it was for others and he needed to get out and share it. And so when he wrote the scriptures, he's saying, don't grow lose, weary and lose heart. In fact, have great joy, just as Jesus did, in continuing the race that is run and, and that we need to run before us. We already have gold if we have Jesus. During worship, I read to you from Revelation 21. I read to you about the throne rooms of heaven and there's the angel that comes along and she measures everything with gold. Do you know that our lives are measured with gold? Do you know that our lives are measured with the life of Jesus? And that makes us valuable. That makes us really valuable. In fact, that gives us access to the throne rooms of heaven we already hold and we already host Jesus that is value, that is gold. But he still called us to run a race and to be in training so that our spiritual bodies become stronger in who he's called us to be. We all know that the physical body, can, you can have, I can have this body and it can be weak and I can choose to eat all the food that I want, and it will still be Jay. Or I can have a body that is strong, and I choose to eat good foods, and this body will still be Jay. But one body is weaker than the other. And one body means that I cannot fulfill things quite as easily as I could if I was a little bit stronger. I'm not saying anything about bodies this morning. I have no issues. God will use all of our bodies. I'm just using the physical image for you. In the same way, the spiritual body. We have access to spiritual bodies that can be stronger. And what it means is that we have the ability to carry a heavier weight. We have the ability to carry a heavier glory. And what that means is, is it's fun for you because you get to experience more of the goodness of God, but it means that you have more ability to take others with you, to bring others into God's presence so that they can have the revelation of the value that is upon their lives. In the Old Testament, the tabernacle hosted his presence, his glory. In the New Testament, we host his presence, his glory, his weight. In the New Testament, it talks quite a bit about, you know what? Gold is good. 
But there is a greater value. There is a greater goodness. And it always points us back to Jesus. In the book of Revelation again, it, it brings it back and things are just coated with gold. Lampstands, bowls, streets. There is value in heaven. But you know what? Heaven on earth is called to reside within you and me. When you read about heaven, you can imagine that those things are within you. And that is an awesome place to be. So there's five areas I want to touch on this morning when it comes to the spiritual body that I think that we can train in and become stronger in. And I believe that we do that on our own as individuals, but really important to do it corporately, to do it together. Because you know what I know from training in the past is that you have three things that are super important. You have a coach. You have consistency. You train consistently and you have other competitors training alongside you. I didn't even mean to do it. I have been listening to the coach. So the coach is there. And the reason a coach is there because they understand the big picture. Or I can go in as an athlete and I understand that I can run fast. But a coach goes, you can run fast, but actually I can see your weaknesses. You can run fast, but you're not going to be able to consistently run fast because I can look back and see that your form is not that good. You can run fast, but I can see that if you improve the way that you eat or if you drank more water, you'd be able to do it a whole lot better. A coach is able to see the big picture. And that is really important in all of our journeys in life because you stay consistent when you can see the big picture. You know, I think probably part of the reason that I never made it to the Olympics is because I just stopped looking at the big picture. I didn't um, have a relationship with a coach who could just remind me, this is what you're going for. Come on, this is why you're pushing through. This is why when you have those hard times, you're just going to keep going and keep going and keep going. A coach is really important in our journey in life, in our spiritual life. Consistency. Consistency plays a far greater value than I think many of us really appreciate. I mean, sometimes we just cannot see the change that is happening. I just feel like I'm stuck in mud, stuck in mud, stuck in mud. But then one day you shift. Because all of a sudden, you've gotten strong enough to get out of that mud and move on. Consistency is just showing up when you're tired, when you're happy, when you're sad, when you're excited. It is just showing up, showing up, showing up. And one day you look back and you go, man, I am a lot stronger than I was before. Consistency is really important. And it's great to have a coach who, when you start to not be consistent is given permission to speak into your life and say, come on, where are you? Come on, show up. Here's the big picture. Come on, come on. And at the same time, you're pushing in and going, I just will, I just will, I just will, I just will. Other people around you, companions on the journey, often means when it comes to athletes, you often have a few ahead of you and a few behind you. And the ones ahead of you allow you to see just a little bit into the future without the... Um, see, coaches can often be far ahead. 
They're way stronger. They're way further. They've won their battles. But the one who's a few years ahead of you, you can be like, I've got my eye on the prize. I can get to them. They're not far away from me. They were weak like I was just a year ago. But if I keep pushing on, pushing on, I will get to where they are. At the same time, having ones behind, (laughs) I don't know, is this just me? (laughs) But I'm like, they will not catch me. They will not catch me. They're getting good. They're getting stronger. So I better keep up. I better keep going. I better keep moving. Like the ones behind are the ones that you get to encourage, but also the ones that you get to go, I better keep moving. I love the companions on the journey. I've got to say, some of my favorite people on my journey of life are my companions. The ones I get to do life with, the ones I get to encourage and the ones I get to see ahead and inspire to be like. Companions on the journey are really important. So when it comes to our spiritual life, I think there are five main categories that are muscles that we should always be looking to consistently strengthen. And the first of those would be prayer. I think prayer life is so important on our own, but in our togetherness. And learning how to pray well is, is an awesome thing. It's not easy sometimes. You don't know what types of prayers to pray for certain things. But when you gather in a group, you can watch your companions and see what they do. You can hear the voice of a coach and see what they do. And all of a sudden, you begin to learn. Praise and worship is another area where I think it, it pays. It pays. <laughs> for both prayer and praise and worship, I see it being a little bit like a fire. So a fire is beautiful on its own, a little, a little fire in a fireplace. It's beautiful, isn't it? You can sit around it and it warms you up. But you get a fire, you get a bonfire. And all of a sudden, you cannot get very close to that thing. You are still amazed at its beauty, but you have to stand back a little bit because you can feel the heat and you can smell it from way off. And there's, there's just an intensity about it, but it's still a beautiful thing. And then there's the roaring, like bushfire. And, you know, people lose their lives well before they ever get to the heat because the oxygen is just taken out of the air. It changes the atmosphere. There is smoke for kilometres. You can see it. It is, it is high and it is just bright. And that is what prayer and praise is like in the corporate setting. We can pray but sometimes it just feels like this. And prayer is powerful, don't get me wrong. But sometimes when we're praying on our own, it just feels small. But there is an atmosphere that changes when we pray together. It's like a big bushfire and it can change where we live. And I don't know about you, but I have an absolute... um, My heart's desire, the only reason I am here on the Fleurieu Peninsula is to see it changed, is to see heaven come, is to see this place just ignited with the fire and the presence of God. And you know how we do that? We begin it here. And all of a sudden, we're praying together and there is a heat that is coming that affects out there. Prayer is powerful. Praise is powerful. And it is powerful in the corporate setting. Prophetic. And speaking into the lives of others and and having words of encouragement and just being able to know the scriptures and speak them into the hearts and lives of others is powerful and is beautiful and is something that we should be training our muscles in, all of us. 
And I think it really um, is helpful when we have coaches and companions on this journey because sometimes we say silly things. Hands up, anyone done that? (laughs) All the time. But many of them still bless people. But, you know, one of the greatest things that we can do is to be able to go to someone like a coach and say either I had this experience, how could I do it better? Or I have this word for someone, how can I do it well? I encourage the second one more than the first. But if the first happens, I encourage you to go to a coach or a companion and do prophetic life well. Do speaking the life of Christ into others well. Let us not be a people that back off because we're too scared to say anything. No, 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 that's not changing anything. Let us be a people that are encouraged to use the little that we have and allow God to multitude it, multi- multiply it. Another thing that I do every single time I preach is mix my words up. It's just so you feel like you could do this. I just make it really easy for others to get up here and preach the word of God because you guys can do it. I know you can. The word of God is something that we always encourage you to continually feast on for yourself but in this place as well. Hear it in our togetherness. Hear it in our grow groups as it's worked out and hear it on your own as you're reading. Allow God to speak to you, just like I encouraged before. Like, I've, I've been dreaming about gold. You know, start looking it up and searching it out. Like, find the treasures. There are such treasures in the Word of God. But be rooted and established in it. Because when you are not, the prophetic words and the prayers that you give are strange. Because we don't know the Father in heaven. We need to be reading the word and allowing it to come from our hearts. And we can only do that by continually topping up, topping up, topping up and allowing the overflow to come. Last week, last weekend, we had our Prime Minister stand up. And what were the words that he said? I believe in miracles. I think he said, I have always believed in miracles. I don't know about you, but do you feel like that was a declaration over our country? I have always believed in miracles. I believe that heaven is supposed to be revealed on earth. I believe that the tabernacle in the Old Testament was only like like a model of what was to come, and what was to come was you and I. And the intricate design and the beauty that was made within the tabernacle is so much more amazing within us. And God coats us with value and with a weight, and he has given us the power and the strength to go out and reveal heaven here on earth. Do you believe it? Do you believe in a God of miracles? Do you believe in a God of miracles? Do you believe that God is living within you and you have the power to speak out and see situations changed? I don't know how you feel. Sometimes I get discouraged because I've prayed for some people and I have not seen their healing. 
But I had people pray for me and I was completely 100% healed when I was not very well at all. Is it true to say that I was dying? My dad. At 18 months old, I had meningitis in Zambia. You don't want to get meningitis. You don't want to get meningitis in Zambia. But many nurses prayed and my life was radically changed. There was a healing that took place. I can never forget that every time I pray for other people. But whilst I don't understand fully, while every prayer doesn't get healed, I'm believing that every time I pray, I will have a higher success rate. I believe that there are situations that I can pray into and see change happen. I pray for women who have been unable to have children. And we've seen some women have children, hey? We've seen some women get pregnant. That's been a testimony that Chad especially has seen over the past number of years. But let us be a people that believe in miracles. And if that is something that you struggle to believe in, get into grow groups where they know, where, where things happen and lives are changed and just watch your peers. Watch your companions and allow them to encourage you to keep on going. God has called us to not just know our value and worth, but to allow it to be released. Let me finish with the rainbow. Tossing up, do I? Don't I? Revelation 10. Can I have... Um, my Bible's just there, Ellie. Have you got that, Jono? Is that easy to bring up? I didn't give, give him this one. This is something that I'm feeling actually for us. Revelations 10 verse 1 says, Then I saw another mighty angel coming down from heaven. He was robed in a cloud with a rainbow above his head. Such a... Can you imagine that? There was an angel who was robed in a cloud with a rainbow above his head. It feels like it's a cartoon. His face was like the sun and his legs were like fiery pillars. He was holding a little scroll which lay open in his hand and he planted his right foot on the sea and his left foot on the land. And he gave a loud shout like the roar of a lion. And when he shouted, the voices of the seven thunders spoke. And when the seven thunders spoke, I was about to write, but I heard a voice from heaven say, seal up what the seven thunders have said and do not write it down. See why I was tossing up whether to share it with you this morning. But I really get a sense that on the Flurio, I don't know about you, but I keep seeing rainbows. I mean, magnificent rainbows. We had one, we were working out here the other day and there was one out the window that filled up the whole doorway with the brightest of colours. But quite often I see them on the water and on the land. One foot on the water, one foot on the land. I get a sense that actually, Flurio, we are called to have one foot on the water, one foot on the land. You know where I'm getting? One foot on the earth, one foot in heaven, one foot knowing the love of God, one foot on the earth seeing the people that are around us who do not necessarily know the love of God, and we are to roar 
We are to roar and we are to roar and we're to roar in worship and we're to roar in prayer and we're to roar in worship and we're to roar in prayer and we're to get alongside others and we're to encourage them and we're going to speak life into them and we're going to speak gold into them. We're going to see what is good about them see what is good happening in the world and we're going to speak it over them. We're going to see what is happening that is good and we're going to speak it over them. We're going to see the good that is happening in their life and we're going to speak it over them. What are we doing? We're going to see the good that is happening in their life and we're going to speak it back over them. See the circular motion? See what is good in their life. Speak it back over them. See it. Speak it. Because that's what God's called us to. God has called us to see others and to take the value that he has given us and allow them to see it too. Because just like these paintings were each individually created, God has individually created every man and woman on this earth. And he has spoken into each of their lives talents and giftings and beauty, all which reveal his goodness. And when it is combined with the value of Jesus Christ, the full glory is released and revealed. And God is wanting to do that in many people. This, um, this book is the most vulnerable thing I've ever done. It hasn't actually been that easy to finish it. But... Um, my greatest desire is to see others know who they are in Christ. And that's what this book provides the opportunity for. It's a very simple way to see seven different aspects of God and who he has spoken you to be. Jesus is presented very early on, so if you want to give it to someone who doesn't know God, it's a very good tool. But in all of my life, I desire to help people see who they are and then encourage them to paint, to colour between the lines that God's fullness is revealed. I'm excited this morning. I'm excited that I get to release it. And I hope that we leave this morning knowing that you have a gold-filtered life. And if you don't know Jesus this morning then um, either ask one of us about him, just invite him into your life, start reading Matthew, Mark, Luke and John or buy my book and I'll let you know who he is. I hope you've enjoyed today's message. Remember to check us out at baysidechurch.org.au and of course, if you're ever in the area, please pop in and say good day. Bye.